This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again when you can have a brilliant, hyper-fast, super simple Wi-Fi system with Eero. And now the second generation Eero is tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com and at checkout, select overnight shipping and then enter the promo code FOOL. It's Monday, July 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Hey, hey. You know who's having a happy Monday? Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth. <laughs> um, you know what? We'll get we'll get to the news. Let's do. We'll get I mean, to, we'll get to the Hasbro earnings. We'll get to the war on cash. We'll get to all of it. But I have to say, as happy as, as I am for Jordan Spieth for winning the Open. As an Under Armour shareholder, I'm a little disappointed that we're not seeing a ripple because we've seen that before. We've seen yeah. events where, particularly in golf, big winner, and then if they're associated with Nike, you see irrationally perhaps, but you see a little bump up in the stock price. I was, I'm not going to lie, I was kind of hoping that we were going to see at the open a little irrational bump up of Under Armour shares because Jordan Spieth is an Under Armour guy, or perhaps maybe this is a response to a bunch of sort of fair weather golf viewers who are just really disgruntled at the lack of being able to really understand the rules of golf right i mean that's like the whole thing about yesterday was other than jordan speeth really you know pouring it on on that last those last six holes was the number 13 fiasco where he hit a pretty wayward drive and then it took like 30 minutes to essentially figure out how he was going to hit his next shot and so to me like as much of a golf fan as i am and i've played it all my life this is where I feel like golf is really losing the common fan. Just it, 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 the the rules of golf are borderline un ununderstand. You can't understand them. I mean, they're just completely incomprehensible. And in it, they have this book. They have a rule book, and then they have this other big, thicker book called Decisions on the Rules of Golf. So it's like real life experiences. <laughs> For for those situations that aren't quite clarified in, in the actual guys, rule book. the rule book doesn't cover this. We need to go into the archives. It, it, it's funny, but the fact of the matter is, this decisions book is it's like an encyclopedia. And so there's this hurdle I think that golf faces with the common sports fan, and that the rules are just absurd. They're archaic. Um, By the way, when you said encyclopedia, we just, we just lost every listener under the age of forty. Well, there you go. I mean, just Google it. You probably know. I mean, but it's just to me, I feel like with golf, it's another one of those sports where, in baseball, I think too is sort of facing this from the perspective of it's a big time suck, and a lot of people don't have really the time to sit down and commit to something like that. Now, for example, yesterday I was on the way back from the river. It's about a three-hour car drive. Given the time of day, I was actually able to listen to this thing on SiriusXM, and it was great. It made for good radio. It was good theater. I'm a golf fan, so I can kind of nerd out on that a little bit. But but I do think that that golf is facing some challenges from that perspective in in garnering viewers. It's one thing for me to go out there and play golf and just sort of you keep the game moving. You kind of play. Uh, just, just enjoy it. But, but I think when you when it comes down to the professional level, I think that is a big hurdle that that uh, is still facing. Now, with that said, you and I were talking about this this morning. Um, Jordan Spieth is 23. He's won three major championships. He is going to mo- more than likely be playing golf when he's 30. 
and chances are the way golf works, he's going to be better. And he's got a long-term contract with Under Armour. And and you know that Under Armour is going to do everything they can to keep him locked down for good. And typically, athletes once they develop those kinds of relationships uh, with, with their with their equipment providers, apparel providers like that, they stick with them for for the long haul, unless there's some big falling out. So. We talk about long-term investing. We talk about sort of seeing the forest through the trees. I think this is a good example of where, if you look at it from today's perspective, you think, okay, Under Armour, yeah, they have been having their challenges as of late. But in seven years, I still want to be an owner of this company. I still want to be an owner of this stock. And and I think that Jordan Spieth is sort of a good real-life example of how we can sort of look at things further down the road and recognize that really, Seven years from now sounds like a long way away. For him, he's just going to be thirty. It's not really that long, but but it just everybody kind of wants to get rich now, and that's just not how investing works. <laughs> Let's get on to the big winner of the day, and that is WebMD. And I suppose WebMD shareholders, uh, the stock is up twenty percent as WebMD is being bought by the private equity firm KKR and. This continues a trend that we've really seen over. Certainly, we've seen this among consumer brand names in 2017, but we've seen the longer trend over the last 15 years, and it is fewer public companies. As more and more public companies go private for one reason or another, and certainly this year, the high-profile ones are being taken out by someone else. Well, Chris, if you had the op- option to be either a Publicly traded company or a private company. I mean, wouldn't you opt for the private route? I mean, it's you're going to be held under less scrutiny, right? I mean, absolutely. I've got enough to deal with when I go home. I mean, they hold me in under enough scrutiny as it is, and so those are the people I need to answer to. That's my board of directors. Uh, I think that for a lot of companies, are just recognizing the luxury and actually not having necessarily answer to to the public on a quarterly basis. And I mean, we're seeing more and more that a lot of companies are just being judged on quarters versus judged on years and decades. And and um, and and that's a tough sort of mentality to overcome. Now with WebMD, I mean, this is not a deal that makes you scratch your head and wonder. You know what is KKR thinking? I mean, this is something that's certainly in their wheelhouse and adds to a valuable collection of uh, similar sorts of media properties that they own already. And for me, I've, we talked about WebMD before on the podcast here and there. I mean, I feel like, I mean, to me, this has always been a very fascinating property. And when you look at businesses like these internet businesses, the strength is in the network, right? And what kind of a network you can create. And, and with WebMD, not only have they created this strong brand. Uh, with what they do, but we live in this information age where it's so readily available, and you can find anything you need at the drop of a hat. But but with WebMD, I mean, it is this really neat sort of network of not just consumers but physicians, and and this a really to me it could be an even more powerful network effect there because the more physicians that you add to that network it becomes immensely more valuable because that's pretty unique knowledge that's not stuff that you and I like we can offer reviews on a restaurant but I can't really tell you about how <laughs> the merits of a colonoscopy right i mean <laughs> you're just going to have to kind of trust the doctor when they tell you and so i think there are a lot of there are a lot of sort of um dynamics to this network that make it really attractive the business itself is actually Pretty healthy. I mean, they make their money from advertising, uh, but they also have a subscription uh, dynamic to it, which is neat. Uh, net margin starting to stabilize in the low teen range. It's uh, I think balance sheet net cash uh, neutral, 
And if you look at over the past five years, I mean, the stock has just been on a tear. It's up somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred fifty percent. It really has, and and that's one of the interesting things to me about WebMD. Is we were talking earlier about you know what would you rather be a public company or or a private company for a good stretch of time with WebMD. They were just running into all kinds of brick walls in terms of their business. Um, they they really struggled as a business for a long time, and at the point that they figured it out, as you said, that's where the tide really started to turn in their favor and in the favor of shareholders. And so you can back this thing out over you know ten years or longer, and you you're not seeing a great return. But five years ago was really the low point, and I'm sure there were plenty of investors. Who just gave up on this thing, and it turns out that was the time to buy. Yeah, and I mean, it just you see this a lot. I mean, you can see valuable properties out there that have a hard time making it work as a business, but eventually, particularly if you're a public company, I mean, you are going to be held to accountability there. Leadership has to get in there at some point and create a good business if if you have something there where you could build that business on. I mean, WebMD clearly has that. And I mean, it's when you look at the way this deal is valued. I mean, WebMD is a it's a profitable company. It's a cash flow positive company. It's a financially healthy company. And this deal values the stock at around seventeen times free cash flow. Now, sometimes with these internet businesses, we'll back out the stock based compensation side of the equation to get sort of a better idea at least of cash flow minus that stock based compensation. And in with with WebMD, it's still. Very cash flow positive. You look at something like Zillow, which is another example, I think, of a network that's really trying to to build out a specialized sort of unique information network and a lot of sort of the same qualities there as WebMD in in, in sort of that that regard. Um, Zillow, it's just not even close. It's not profitable. It's not cash flow positive. You back out that stock based compensation, it's even worse. And so, I mean, I'm not saying that Zillow is a bad business, mind you. I mean, I just think that at some point, Zillow is going to have to sort of Flip a switch there and and make investors sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel as far as like the the profitability and, and the cash that that business can generate. Whereas WebMD had really already hit that switch; they figured that out. I mean, it was it was around five years ago, um, but at some point it happens. And if it doesn't, uh, then then you typically either see shifts in leadership or you see someone come in there and buy that thing for a song and and, and uh, turn it around in a private manner. Hasbro's second quarter profit and revenue came in higher than expected, and for some reason the stock is down nearly ten percent this morning. Well, I'm gonna depend on you to tell me exactly why. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh wait, no, that's why. I'm that's here. why you're here. Okay. Um, uh, you know, there are sell-offs where you have to ask yourself, "Uh-oh, what is wrong with this business, and what's the next shoe to drop?" This is not one of those cases. I mean, when you look at it on on the whole, with a, with a big picture sort of perspective, I mean, this was a good quarter. There are a lot of a lot of reasons to be encouraged. The business continues to grow revenue at double-digit rates. Um, I think that the you know, look at some of the dynamics here. The stock has been on a massive tear all of 2017. It's really been um, I think the beneficiary not only of not only of of a good business model and sort of a good collection of brands and good leadership, but they've also benefited a little bit from Mattel's shortcomings. Um, so the stock had 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 a nice run up to this point. Now I think probably the biggest concern and going through the call is this uh, performance on the international front and particularly 
Uh, they're calling out the UK and Brazil. And those are important markets. I mean, when you look at the international segment for Hasbro, it's close to half um, revenue. Now, it's not as, it doesn't contribute as much on the profitability side, but it's still important. And Brazil is certainly the most important market in the Latin American uh, region. And the UK is, is obviously an important one in, in the European market as well. So there are some concerns there due to macroeconomic challenges that are beyond really anybody's control. And, and so what that led to, uh, on the operating profit side, operating profit fell somewhere in the neighborhood of forty uh, percent or something for the for the quarter, forty three percent I think actually, and it, and it sounds like management's guiding for some headwinds there for the remainder of the year on the international side, given given the performance in those two countries. But I wouldn't read too much into that because to me they're far more catalysts on the horizon than concerns with these guys. Um, I mean, Star Wars: The Last Jedi stuff is going to hit shelves on September first, which is. Force Friday two, I guess, or something. Force Friday eleven, whatever it is. It's, you think they're going to sell anything there? <laughs> you know, I mean, that remains to be seen. I mean, I think Star Wars, uh, it's starting to gain a little traction, maybe with with the That's uh, good. <laughs> with the, you know the the millennial generation, and um, I, I, there's a frozen, uh, frozen more frozen stuff coming out towards the holiday seasons. They're guiding really to, I think, um, a lot of reasons to be optimistic for this holiday season. Uh, we talk about these businesses. Hasbro, in particular, uh, their success really comes from making sure that they hitched their wagon to, to the valuable IP stars out there, like Disney. Uh, and Hasbro has done a, a wonderful job of that. They continue to reward shareholders with growing dividends. It's up 50% since 2012, from $1.44 per share to uh, $2.16 uh, per share over the trailing 12 months. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I think investors in Hasbro should be happy. With the way the business is performing, I think that today probably represents, yeah, a good look. Maybe if you want to buy shares or add shares, I mean, this is this is a good business with a lot going for it. And again, I mean, I think there there are far more catalysts on the horizon uh, than concerns. Today's sell-off notwithstanding, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that part of what fueled this quarter for them was some really strong sales in the Nerf category and Transformers. And I thought, oh, that's nice that the toy sales aren't being affected by the terrible Transformers movies, <laughs> which are just <laughs> or or Shia LaBeouf's most recent uh, most recent just <laughs> complete blow up, which. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on on that alone, but it's nice to see at least Hasbro is not levered to Shia LaBeouf right. as as Chipotle is to getting sick. <sighs> All right, before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to Eero for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Eero, that's E E R O. Never think about home Wi-Fi again. They just introduced the second generation Eero and the Eero Beacon. Uh, they started in early 2016, and since then they've learned from hundreds of thousands of systems, making them smarter, faster, and more reliable. And the new second-generation Eero and Eero Beacon allow you to build a Wi-Fi system that is more perfectly tailored to your home than ever before. More speed and range in the same high-quality, elegant design that people have come to expect. You look at the reviews of Eero uh, among the tech trades, they're really fantastic. Um, the newest version is now tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor, which lets you do more simultaneously in every room of your home. And with the addition of the new thread radio, Eero can connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, other sensors, and more. 
That's right. We're talking about the smart home. Uh, you can expand your coverage in any room, and it's easy with the Eero Beacon. Simply plug it into a wall, and you're covered. You can add as many beacons as you want. If you've got an outlet, you've got Wi-Fi. Uh, let's go to our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, who recently moved, and he's in a new place, and he's got the Eero system. How's that Wi-Fi working out for you, Dan? So, really good, actually. The Eero took about five minutes to set up. Just you download the app on your phone, press a couple of buttons, and it is painless. It was really, really cool. Easy to set up. Easy to set up, Love and it. with the beacons, came with two beacons. Put them the, you know, I have an apartment, and it's not a like a long apartment, so there's a lot of walls everywhere. So with my old Wi-Fi. It was kind of Wi-Fi was really slow in the bedroom, uh, and wasn't so good in the living room. It was great in the office where the Wi-Fi router was, but now with the beacons that I have in one in the bedroom and one in the living room, the Wi-Fi is just as powerful as it is in the office. You gotta love the complete lack of dead spots. I'm feeling an upgrade at the Moser household <laughs> here very soon. I mean, we throw one of those beacons on each floor. No, I mean, a, we're just going to be a it would be a powerhouse of Wi-Fi connectivity. Let me sweeten that deal for you. For free overnight shipping, visit eero.com. That's e e r o.com and at checkout, select overnight shipping and then enter the promo code fool to make it free. One more thing. Yeah. The design of the Eero, they're just these little white like they're beveled, sleek. sleek little boxes, and uh, my girlfriend loved them. So they're aesthetically pleasing, is what you would say. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a big plus. I mean, you don't want some piece of junk cluttering up your uh, feng shui. No, no, you definitely don't. Um, we've talked a lot about Blue Apron lately. We Isn't have. that fair to say? Sure. And a lot of it's been negative. So we feel slight obligation to point out that shares of Blue Apron are up 11 percent this morning on not one, not two. But three analyst upgrades. Yeah, I feel a tremendous obligation to this because, contrary to popular belief, Chris, I am not a hater. I mean, like in any general sense of the word, I like to think of myself as a nice guy. Our job is to analyze and make decisions based on that analysis. Well, um, and apparently now there are three analysts who, who look <laughs> at the stock being knocked down the way it has and said, you know what? I actually would buy it at that price. Sure. Well, I think you asked. It was one. It was a stock watch last week. You asked me, "Is there some price where you feel like maybe this becomes attractive?" And I think my answer at the time was no. Um, it's nice to not have to rag on these guys all in all. Like, I mean, I like actually being able to look at a positive story for Blue Apron because, again. From a service perspective, it sounds like it's a great service. I mean, as an investment, I, listen, I still, I still can't say that I'm on board with with these analyst calls. I mean, I don't agree with it, um, but it's not to say that I'm right either. I mean, I maybe these guys figure out. I mean, they are in the near run. There's no question they are going to have to pay a lot of money to acquire new customers. When you're not profitable. The market's only going to give you so much to work with, and when you're dealing with something like Amazon, it's going to make it that much more difficult. Now, by the same token, I think probably we're all a little bit guilty of making this quick leap to just thinking Amazon's going to own this space, thanks to the Whole Foods acquisition acquisition and its its a distribution and fulfillment expertise. But but again, I mean, I think Blue Apron, we're rooting for them. I mean, I. The numbers don't lie, though, so so they certainly have a lot of challenges uh, on on their hands. Um, these analyst calls, they are just part and parcel of the business. But it's nice to see them having a good day, and I, I hope that uh, 
they can continue to, to keep things on the up and up. Last thing before we wrap up today, and this uh, builds off of uh, the most recent episode of Motley Fool Money, uh, where you and David Kretzman and Jeff Fisher and I were talking at one point about the latest results uh, from Visa and American Express. And I think what Jeff Fisher had to say about not just Visa and American Express, but just sort of the trend around cash. And I've I've said this before. I do like the audacity of Visa coming out and literally saying, for the record, yes, we are declaring war on cash. We are in competition with cash. Yes, on some level, we're competing with American Express and MasterCard, but we're competing with cash too. And what Jeff had to say, I think, resonated with each of us over the weekend. Because you had tweeted something out, and I just thought I immediately jumped on and said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm basically." I think you had tweeted, "You know, I've been thinking about what Jeff Fisher had to say." It so to me, it's like, and I think that you and I probably kick this around every earnings season. It's like we talk about American Express earnings, Visa, Mastercard, PayPal, all of these payments businesses. And we're like, oh yeah, weren't we saying last quarter we wanted to buy some of these? Right. And then like another quarter goes by and we didn't. And and so it really, I had a little bit of driving time this weekend. It made I really started thinking about this, and it just it struck me. I've got some capital to deploy, and for me, like this is such an attractive space for so many reasons. Um, and, and maybe it was the words <laughs> "war on cash" that just crystallized everything for me right then and there. Um, I, I just, to me, there are. This is one of the biggest long-term trends out there. Having lived overseas in a number of different places and understanding how many infrastructures out there are still lacking on the electronic payment side tells me all I need to know. I mean, there's a great opportunity out there for all of these businesses to really take market share in some meaningful way. And I mean, I don't see any reason to place your bets on one. Um, Winner and and so I'm not now. I we've and there won't be one winner, right? I mean, there will be many, and and I think that you have to sort of prioritize the list of names that you'd like to have exposure to. I mean, when I I keep on getting questions about American Express, and I'm torn there because as a customer of American Express, I really love it. I mean, the card's great, the service they provide is wonderful. Um, The investment side of it, they are faced with more challenges. I mean, Visa and Mastercard are offering similar uh, products. They have really bigger networks. I mean, you will go to places where they just don't want to accept American Express because it costs them more to do so. Um, So I think that that could play in. But with you know that said, I mean, American Express has a very powerful brand and a very valuable network. They can come up with new offerings and products. Um, To me, I, I think I had whittled it down to a basket that I am going to. Purchase in equal amounts. Are you ready? Because I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do here. So, as soon as our trading restrictions allow, I'm going to actually go do this. Okay, I'm going to break it out into 25% in each of four holdings. I'm going to buy Visa, I'm going to buy MasterCard, I'm going to buy PayPal, and I'm going to buy Square. Square? Yes. You're buying Square? Square? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And, and is that when you look at the 25% that you're allocating towards Square, do you look at that? The same way I look at cash in my hand when I walk into a casino, like, oh, I'm not leaving with this cash. This cash will stay here. Yes. See, I the cash into the casino example. There is a 100% chance that you are not walking out with it. With Square, I think 
I think there's a chance. Uh, you know, it strikes me a, a lot of these places I go, uh, whether it's the frozen yogurt store or just the, the the music store down the road where we rent my daughter's viola. All of these places are starting to take Square. Square is proving itself to be very resilient, and I think a very valuable offering for a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. And so, I, I think there is something there. I think the business is showing signs of of uh, gaining traction with a, with a lot of, with a lot of folks. One of the things I think with a lot of businesses, it's very easy in the short run to be bearish or be critical of companies that get out there and. Do whatever it takes to win over their customers, really at any cost. I mean, they're going to sacrifice in the short run to build up that customer base, to build up that loyal customer base. Um, it's easy to criticize them in the near in the near term, but but in the long run, the businesses that really tend to do well are the ones that find out what their customers want and then just keep on giving it to them. And over time, you develop that loyalty. And if you have a powerful network, and I think payments is a good sort of example of a network effect type of business, you can you can do very well. When you consider all of the opportunities there, and in that basket, to me, you have two very sort of lower risk investment ideas in Visa and MasterCard, PayPal. A little bit sort of on the medium side. And then I think Square represents the very high risk, high reward style. And I think when you put those all together, it's an easy way to manage risk, get some exposure to a lot of neat ideas in the space. And so for me, I made the decision that's what I'm going to do. I'm not telling anyone else out there to do that. I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. But I just thought that was a neat little byproduct of our discussion this weekend. Do you still own shares of Twitter? I do. See, yeah. this is going to be great because you're going to own two companies that Jack Dorsey is the CEO yeah. of, and then I'll get to ask you which one you want him to leave. I'm just all in on Dorsey, <laughs> I guess. You know, and that's that's we we can make fun of him, but man, I tell you, he is a I I there's a lot to him. I think he's a good leader, and more so, I think he's a good person. And I think, generally speaking, when you have good people who are hell bent on giving people what they want, building businesses around, giving people what they want, I think Dorsey's one of those guys. In the long run, they tend to do pretty well, and I'm a patient man, as Lex Luthor once said. So, <laughs> Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.